This podcast is produced by Benchmark Education. We're back. It's a new season of Teachers Talk Shop. I'm Kevin Carlson. Thank you for joining us. In these next episodes, educator and author Patty McGee talks with leading literacy experts to present a 360-degree view of literacy. What does that mean? These episodes approach the science of reading with a broad 360-degree lens, exploring current understandings and surfacing the nuances of teaching and learning literacy in today's classrooms, so that we're positioned to address the needs of all students. So that's what we'll be talking about in this season of Teachers Talk Shop. We start with knowledge building, and we start now. Knowledge is actually perhaps even more powerful than just having it and applying it as you read, but that developing while you read actually can have some additional benefits for students. That is Dr. Gina Cervetti. She is a professor of literacy, language, and culture at the University of Michigan's Marshall School of Education. She studies language and comprehension development, especially in the context of content area and other knowledge-enriching instruction. Author and educator Patty McGee spoke with Dr. Cervetti recently about leveraging knowledge for reading success. Much of my work has taken place in the context of thinking about literacy learning in content area learning. And I, you know, I started my work as a fairly traditional literacy person who thought a lot about English language arts instruction. Um, But the more I thought about the kinds of experiences that support students' literacy development, the more interested I became in contexts like content area context. And and in particular, I've worked a lot in the context of science instruction, the um, knowledge enriching context that is provided by, you know, learning literacy in, in science. So, you know, having access to more complex texts because you bring a lot of knowledge to those texts. You know, the opportunities to connect um, reading to firsthand experiences in the world, actual phenomena and scientific inquiry. So, you know, not only um, experiencing the world, but investigating the world as scientists do using the reading and writing skills that are inherent to science. One consistent finding around literacy is that the more that students are engaged in a way that surface big ideas, right? So that they're um, asking and answering higher level questions rather than just surface level questions, that that really supports their reading comprehension development. And one way to do that is to be using reading and writing to inquire in the world. Uh, So there are just so many uh, benefits to thinking about those connections. So I didn't start my work in that place, but very quickly became interested in that and have pursued that. And that has led to other kinds of investigations, just trying to understand some of those specific pieces. So um, what is uh, the relationship between knowledge and um, reading development? What is the relationship between knowledge and language development? Uh, So that's where my work has resided over the last couple of decades. So could you just shed a little bit more light on what you've been focusing on in terms of reading development and knowledge? and also language development and knowledge. We've known for a long time 
since at least uh, probably, you know, 100 years, but at least since the 1970s, there have been a lot of investigations into the relationship between knowledge, the knowledge that students bring to the text, and students' comprehension of those texts. And as you might expect, um, if you know something about the topic of a text, you typically understand that text better. Um, but I've been really interested in the idea that that relationship actually might be even more fruitful than that. So that, um, you know, not only thinking both about knowledge in a more complex way, so that knowledge is, is in part school knowledge and disciplinary knowledge and knowledge of the kinds of the topics that tend to appear in school texts, but that knowledge also includes um, the repertoire of experiences that students bring from their lives outside of school and that that knowledge too can be leveraged to support their comprehension. So thinking more broadly about what knowledge is and what knowledge matters can provide um, an opportunity for students to gain momentum in understanding text. So that's one aspect of knowledge. But I've also been really interested in the possibility that knowledge does more than just support students' comprehension of the text in front of them. And so I've been interested in the idea that um, when students are developing knowledge as part of English language arts instruction or content area learning, um, it also provides an opportunity for them to um, learn more words, for example, around the text that they're reading. So acquire more knowledge of words incidentally as they read. And I'm actually doing a study right now, which I'm, I'm hoping will provide some additional evidence for this idea that when students are reading texts where they bring some knowledge to those texts or they're accruing knowledge through texts, that they actually engage in more sophisticated forms of comprehension, you know, so that um, they're able to maybe use a, a broader repertoire of comprehension strategies as they read, or they're able to form more connections within and between texts. Knowledge is actually perhaps even more powerful than just having it and applying it as you read, but that developing while you read actually can have some additional benefits for students. Let's pause on this and dig a little bit deeper for a second. So yeah. three words that are standing out to me, um, cultural relevancy, the knowledge that mm -hmm. kids bring to school with them from their life experiences, reading development, and language learning, all mm -hmm. like wrapped up in knowledge. Right. Yeah. So can you unpack that for us a little bit? The knowledge um, building and the way that cultural relevancy, reading development and language learning interplay. Many of the studies that have been done on the relationship between knowledge and reading comprehension have been done with one of two types of knowledge. So that's been either um, academic knowledge of sort of, you know, disciplinary knowledge and school type knowledge. So if kids know something about biology, can they read biology texts better, understand them better? And the answer is yes, they can. And that that is um, broadly applicable. It's students of all ages and it applies to both being able to recall texts, but also being able to do things like make inferences around texts. And then some studies also looked at um, the kinds of um, out-of-school knowledge related to students' hobbies. So there were a series of studies on baseball knowledge or soccer knowledge, and could students um, understand texts better on those topics if they had experiences outside of school related to those things. And in fact, there was research that showed um, not only that they could, but also that when they were reading texts that were on these familiar topics, they actually were better able to learn other things. For example, 
Galtney in 1995 showed this was the study of fourth grade boys who were poorer readers. They were less skilled readers, but they were also baseball experts. Okay. And so they studied comprehension strategies either in the context of baseball texts or non-baseball texts. Mm -hmm. And they were better able to acquire those strategies and retain their use of those strategies if they learned those strategies using the baseball text. And you can understand why, right? We have limited yeah. attention. Yeah. And so being able to you know, have some purchase into the text frees up enough attention to allow us to actually learn and practice the use of these comprehension strategies. After the break, the value of culturally relevant texts. Stay with us. Metacognition operates in all successful reading. It is essential that we understand how it works and how best to teach it. With his new book, Fostering Metacognitive and Independent Readers, author Peter Athlerbach delivers an essential guide to metacognition and effective instruction. This book helps teachers explore the research, examine strategies, and improve students' reading achievement. Students learn to set their own reading goals, monitor their own comprehension, identify and fix challenges to their understanding, and determine that their reading goals are being met. They become metacognitive and independent readers. Learn more at pediessentials.com. Go teach brilliantly. In 2017, Clark reported on studies that looked at the effects of culturally relevant texts on reading development among African-American children who were enrolled in an after-school program. And um, these students were in grades one through five, and they participated in a program that was designed to support, support both their word level reading, but also their reading comprehension. They were doing word study, and they were also responding to reading, and they were either using exclusively culturally relevant texts or exclusively non-culturally relevant texts. And in this study, culturally relevant texts meant um, texts that featured African-American families and African-American themes and African-American communities. And um, Clark found that the students who read um, culturally relevant texts made greater growth than their peers who were reading the non-culturally relevant texts in both word recognition in context, so their word reading skills and also their reading comprehension. So more and more, we're learning more recently about the value of providing students the opportunity to read texts where they uh, they have a an experiential sort of purchase into the, the themes and content of those texts. That is really compelling um, and important research to share yeah. and just shows us just how human teaching is, right? It's not yeah. just about the academic learning, but it's about the people, the, the students that come to us and who they are as human beings, their experiences, um, their lived uh, knowledge that they they come to us with and then are able to leverage that to become stronger and stronger in so many different areas. I was just gonna say, you can imagine why this is the case, right? These, right. you know, texts that are of greater interest, you know, we're much more likely to read them with, you know, more uh, attention, right? Mm -hmm. But also um, the limits of our attention mean that we can, you know, potentially pay attention to other aspects of the text. 
we know something about the topic, we might notice the words in the text, or we might be able to notice something about the structure of the text, or we might be able to, you know, make connection to other things that we know or form connections within a text. When a text is brand new to us and we're just trying to make sense of it, we don't have a lot of additional attentional resources to devote to other aspects of literacy learning. So you can imagine why this is true. And it's just, you know, the fact that it, it turns out that it is as true with the cultural knowledge that we bring as it is with the academic knowledge that we bring means that um, we can legitimate more forms of knowledge in school. And that also connects to students' engagement and motivation. Yes. So what do you mean by more forms of knowledge? I, I mean, academic knowledge and experiential knowledge and cultural knowledge and, you know, that, that really all of the things that we know, all of the experiences that we have, these are all resources for our literacy development. And so we should, as teachers, get to know our students and, of course, attend to the kinds of knowledge, academic knowledge that we're supporting in school, but also think of students as full of um, rich experiential and cultural resources that they can bring to their own literacy learning and try to find ways to form those connections for the sake of engagement. But also it turns out for the cognitive benefits that come from being able to form those connections as they read. Where does vocabulary come in? Many decades ago, we learned that students who have a lot of vocabulary knowledge um, tend to not only um, be better readers of the text that they're reading now, but they actually tend to make greater growth in reading over time. Mm. And many studies demonstrated this. And so I think for that reason, we became really interested in trying to grow students' vocabularies. And so there have been many, many programs that have tried different approaches to growing students' vocabularies. And they've been very successful at growing students' knowledge of the words that they teach. So that there have been lists of academic words, which are words that tend to appear a lot in the text that students encounter in schools. And these studies have been very successful at showing that if you teach these words in particular ways, students tend to learn them and they also tend to retain them. But we've been less successful at the task of trying to grow students' vocabularies in general. You know, there have been lots of programs where they've tried to teach large numbers of academic words and hoped that doing so would transfer to students' general vocabulary knowledge. So, we, so that when you gave students a standardized test of vocabulary knowledge, that they would um, make greater gains than students who didn't receive that instruction. But that's actually been harder to do for a few reasons. So, first of all, Language is more than vocabulary knowledge. Um, and so we probably need to think about other aspects of language development. You know, when it was assessed and associated with vocabulary, that was probably more of a correlation, an association than something that was strictly causal. It was an indicator of something else. And so that might be broader language skills in general, or it might be that students who have a lot of vocabulary knowledge also have a lot of knowledge about the world, mm. right? And so what we were actually uncovering was a relationship between all of the knowledge that students bring to school and their reading, both in the moment and also their growth over time. And so I think it probably is helpful to think more broadly, both about what we mean by language development, so that it's not just vocabulary, the knowledge of individual vocabulary words, but also to think about um, vocabulary as a kind of 
surface level instantiation of what in fact is more conceptual knowledge. So having a lot of words about ideas and that it may be the ideas that knowledge of the ideas that matter more than knowledge of the words that matters. So again, this is a testable idea, but it's where I'm landing having done a whole series of investigations to try to figure out uh, what exactly is the nature of this relationship and um, and how can we grow students' vocabularies and their language knowledge in general? After the break, getting started. Stay with us. Informational writing goes above and beyond day-to-day classroom content. In their new book, Informational Writing Mini-Lessons, your go-to guide for flexible, high-impact instruction, authors Eric Lepis, Michelle Stone, and Kirsten Widmer deliver more than 170 lessons for informational writing in grades K through 6. These detailed, user-friendly lessons support students at a wide range of developmental stages and cover the various genres of informational writing. They are designed for differentiation and help teachers address the needs of every student. Learn more at pdessentials.com. Go teach brilliantly. How can we just start to dip a toe into this though? So if there's a principal who's listening and they're like, yes, I hear everything you're saying. This is speaking Mm -hmm. to me. What can I do to support teachers in going in this direction? Or a teacher who's listening and they're saying, yes, I hear everything you're saying. I want to leverage the knowledge that kids come with along with academic Mm -hmm. knowledge and, and all of the ways that I can support my kids. But what's kind of a first step that they can take here? I think there are a couple of really important first steps. So one is um, to um, not lose time in the school day for content area instruction. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's really important. And English language arts has grown and grown and grown. And um, attention to content area instruction, especially in the elementary grades, has shrunk over time. And so I think we need to rethink that. And um, as we think about reallocating the school day to provide more time for content area instruction, we need to be thinking about how we can use that to develop students' literacy skills, um, especially their you know, disciplinary literacy skills. So that would be the first thing. The second thing would be to think about English language arts also as a place where students can um, leverage the knowledge that they bring and also develop knowledge. So thinking about, um, for example, um, you know, uh, using English language arts to dive into, um, you know, deeply into themes that maybe complement the content area instruction that's going on elsewhere in the day, or, you know, to develop um, cohesive sets of texts around particular ideas that students are engaging in in English language arts so that every day isn't a whole new set of content. You know, they're not reading about different things day after day about thinking about making sure that every day students have an opportunity to um, pursue aspects of their identity and interests in school. So thinking about English language arts as a place where students can read self-selected texts and pursue their interests or bring their um, personal experiential and cultural knowledge into the classroom through both um, their reading, but also their expression, their writing and their creation inside English language arts instruction. So those are some really important first steps. 
Wonderful. Uh, could we dig into one of those um, before we wrap up? Yeah. Um, the one that I'm, I'm feeling most curious about right now is having a parallel theme in mm -hmm. ELA to something that's happening in a content area. What does that look like? One way to do that is to create um, opportunities to engage in, um, you know, like in, in science, I think about sort of socio-scientific issues, right? Yeah. So if you're studying, um, you know, weather and climate in science, you can be thinking about, you know, issues of, you know, human and human climate change in English language arts, or yeah. if you're studying, you know, issues of ecology in science, you can be thinking about, you know, how it is that we, um, you know, are stewards of the, you know, the environment inside our homes, inside our school, and inside our communities, you know, in English language arts. And so there are these ways in which we can actually um, apply some of the things that we're learning in science and social studies to our own lives. You know, if you're studying government, you can be thinking about local elections or local initiatives. So I think it provides a really nice opportunity not only to um, give students a chance to um, develop complementary knowledge, but also to bring some of the academic knowledge into their own lives. Yes, that sounds absolutely irresistible. Well, Gina, thank you so much for meeting with us yeah. today and sharing. Sure, sure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Dr. Gina Cervetti. Thank you, Patty McGee. And thank you for listening to Teachers Talk Shop. Please be sure to visit TeachersTalkShop.com, where you can listen to previous episodes, find transcripts, learn more about our guests, and explore related resources. If you learned something from this episode, please share it with your colleagues. That's a great way to spread the word about the show. Thanks. For Benchmark Education, I'm Kevin Carlson.